I really love that last song that we sang. When I was growing up, uh, I went to camp every summer. I went to a place called Camp Dakota in Floral, Arkansas. Middle of nowhere, really. Uh, but it's close to somewhere, but it's really in nowhere. But it was a beautiful camp, and uh, every morning we would have breakfast, and then we would go and have singing. And they had a big, uh, kind of an open gymnasium, but it had a big roof on it, and, and we would sit in a circle on the floor uh, of that gym, and we would sing camp songs. But the last song that we sang every day, well, it was always the same song, was the final song, we sang Tell Me the Story of Jesus, because we were going from there to our Bible classes for that morning. And that's what we hoped to do, was to hear and tell the story of Jesus. And that's what we're here to do, is to hear and to tell the story of Jesus. And the thing that I was thinking about as we were singing that song is, who am I to tell the story of Jesus? I'm not fit to tell that story. I'm a sinner. I think all of us uh, have to examine that and think of that, our worthiness to tell that story. And yet God looks down on us, and in his grace and love, he sent his son to make us worthy of that story. And his son, before he left this realm to go and be with the Father, charged us to tell that story. That is our task, it is our duty, it is our calling. And Jesus gives us a taste of that calling in Matthew chapter 5, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. As he's speaking to this crowd, to these masses, he describes them, his followers, as two very important elements, salt and light. Both elements are things that make massive differences to the environment that they find themselves in. For us, salt is pretty much just a seasoning. Our major encounter with salt is when we sit at the dinner table. Well, this needs you know, some salt on it. It doesn't have enough salt or it has too much salt. Now, up here, there is another encounter with salt, which I did not grow up with, and that is we have to spread it around to get rid of ice and snow certain times of year, to, to keep uh, walkways clear and to keep pathways clear. We know because we have seen and experienced that salt changes things. In the Old Testament which the people listening would have lived under and grown up under. But in the Old Testament, we read about salt quite a bit, and it's used in a lot of different ways. They gathered salt from the Dead Sea. And salt was used as a very important preservative. In fact, that was true uh, for thousands of years. Uh, it was a pr primarily used as a preservative of meats and, and food. They would pack it in salt. Salt was used uh, under the old law for consecrating things. There were covenants made. Uh, in in uh, Second Chronicles, God says, the th I will not lack a man for the throne. And King Abijah calls this the salt covenant because salt was uh, an emblem of fidelity and truth. And this covenant was bound in salt, he said, because... It was true, and it would be everlasting because God was making it. Salt was even used to consecrate children and to give blessing. But salt was also used in wartime. When you conquered a land, you salted the earth so that nothing would grow there again. 
That was the way you kept your enemies from coming back. You destroyed the land, made it useless, and forced those that had survived to go on the run, which meant certain death during times of war and tribulation. There's no doubt that the connotation of salt is one that is reactive and that changes the world around it. Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth, but if we lack the properties that make salt salt, then we don't really have much use to be thrown out and trampled by men. It's going to be, we're going to toss it out and just let it be, let it be part of the walking path. Let it, let it provide some stability to the roadway. That was all it was good for. If it did not have the elements which caused it to change the environment around it, if it lacked the elements to change flavor and taste, I mean, that's one of the good things about salt, man. It, it makes things good. And I don't care how bad a cook you are. If you put enough salt on something, you can pretty much cover up a lack of skill in the kitchen. But if it doesn't have that property, it's not useful. If it isn't going to affect the soil to get the result that we want, it's not useful. If it doesn't have the properties that changes the world around it, we have no use for it. Uh, three or four years ago, we had a little ice storm come through. It wasn't even really an ice storm. We had some freezing rain one night. I remember I was actually out doing a, a ball game somewhere and coming back, and it was starting to get a little messy, and it was late, and we had a pretty decent layer of just slick ice that was, that was forming out here in the parking lot. And I remember I, I called Dan, and I said, do you think we maybe need to throw some salt down in the parking lot? He said, yeah, but we don't have any, and we need quite a bit for this parking lot. And I said, well, I'm just getting back to town. I'll run to Farm and Fleet and see what they have. And that winter, it seemed like we were out of salt constantly. Everyone was out of salt. And everybody knew this rain was coming, so they had bought it all up. So I go into Walmart, no salt. I go over to Farm and Fleet, they've got no salt. They don't have water softener salt. They don't have Morton salt. They don't have uh, ice melt. They had nothing. And the lady at the counter said, the only thing we have is we have some livestock salt. It's a supplement, I suppose. Marvin could probably tell me more. I don't know anything about cows. But it's used as a supplement of sorts. But it's livestock salt. And that's all we got. You can try it if you want. And I said, well, if it's all you got, I'll try it. So I got out. I had a seed spreader in the back of my truck. And I poured this bag of salt in it. And I start walking it across this parking lot. And it was like 930 at night. And I'm walking back and forth. And I can hear the ice creaking and cracking as that salt landed on top of it. And I waited, and I looked, and that salt didn't do a stinking thing for that ice. Didn't work at all. It, it made little pinholes. It sank right, it melted through and sank right to the bottom. It didn't spread out, didn't melt the ice. We had a nice sheet of perforated ice when we got to church the next morning. It wasn't good for what I needed. It wasn't useful to me to change the environment of the world it was in. Jesus is not commanding something of us. He is revealing in verse 13 something that is and should be true. And what is the consequence if we fail to make it so? You are the salt of the earth. You are the useful ingredient. 
You are the environment-altering element. You are the preservative. You are the consecrating power. You have a great gift, but if you are not in the position to fulfill that, then you're of no use to the kingdom. And we are of no use except to be thrown out and trampled. And literally, that happened that Sunday morning. We just walked all over that salt. Jesus also gives us a second element in comparison of what we are to be. So you're the salt of the earth. You are this, you're this thing that changes everything it comes in contact with. You're also the light of the world. The light of the world. Well, think about the things that light does. Very similarly to salt, light changes things. Light alters. Light can bleach out and fade color. Have you ever been in an old house? Maybe it's got carpet, and that carpet's been there a long time. Maybe it was, maybe it was a house back you know, from the 60s or 70s. It's got that burnt orange shag carpet still in it. And it's right next to this big picture window. And if you walk in that house and it's still got that original carpet and that window is open every day, you'll find a nice little spot in the floor where it's faded because the sun comes in every day and as it moves, there's that one spot that's right there in the middle and it'll be faded because 40, 50 years of bombardment of sunlight will bleach out and fade. It will make brittle it will destroy, it will fundamentally alter the things it touches. You, I went out and did some yard work yesterday. I don't look too bad today, but if I'm out there very long, I'm going to come in nice and red, nice and burnt. I've gotten to that point in my life where I have to start wearing one of those hats because I've got this little bald spot, and it likes to burn first. So I have to wear my floppy hat, and it embarrasses my kids. Because the sun is powerful. Light changes things. The smallest insignificant source of light in total darkness becomes immeasurably noticeable. The littlest thing. I remember my grandfather talking about being out. He, he was out in California for a time. And it was during the war. It was during World War II. And there was concern, and they used to have air raid drills all the time out there on the, on the West Coast because they never knew when Japan might try to fly over and attack from the West. And in these air raid drills, they had blackout curtains, and they would go down to their basements or their cellars, or they would, they would hide. And you couldn't even so much as light a cigarette, which a lot of people did back in the, in the mid-40s, because it could be seen in the darkness of the night. And they might know where to drop their bombs. Light is noticeable, it changes things, and it's effective at guiding us. There's an old preacher's story, which means it's probably not true, but I'll tell it anyway, because that's what preacher stories are, of a ship that's out on Lake, uh, Lake Superior. And Lake Superior, Lake Erie, some of these great lakes, they have, they have really rocky shores. And there was a ship out on the lake at night, and it was guiding its way into the, into the harbor. And as the light passed across the water, this woman on board could see all these rocks sticking up out of the water. And she got very concerned, and she goes to the captain and says, Sir, do you know where all the rocks are out here that you can navigate us to the shore? 
And he said, I don't have to know where all the rocks are. I just need to know where the safe passage is. We're never going to see all the rocks in our way. But God, with his light, lights the safe passage. Light provides security. Every time we, we, we see an increase in crime in a certain part of town, or this has become a dangerous area, well, we'll put new lights in. We'll put some street lights in there. We put lights on the outsides of our buildings because it deters criminals and people who would do us ill. We talk about being surprised when bad things happen in broad daylight. How could such a thing happen in broad daylight? Because good things happen in the light. Evil comes in the darkness where it can be concealed. And what is Jesus calling us to? Much like we are the salt of the earth and that we are to be impactful and resonate in an effect on those around us, the light of the world. We're a city set on a hill. You can't hide that. Because from miles away, even over hills and other obstacles, you can see in the sky the light from a distant city bouncing off the clouds. That's what we are to be, that city on a hill, shining for those at a distance to see. And verse 15, he says, you know, people don't light a lamp and then cover it up immediately. You only light a lamp because you want it to shine. You want it to be seen. It gives light to all the house. And then Jesus says something that, if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, this is an interesting verse. I want you to think about other things that, he, that Jesus is going to say in his Sermon on the Mount, particularly criticisms of religious leaders. And ask yourself, where does this verse fit? Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Now, this is an interesting verse because in this same sermon, Jesus is going to say, you people who pray out loud on the street corner for everybody to see you, God's not listening to you if you're seeking man's approval. You people who fast and make yourself look gaunt and miserable and malnourished, God's not going to pay attention to you because you're getting the attention of other people. So how do we reconcile the fact that Jesus says, when you do these spiritual discipline things and these works, you need to do them in secret because that's what God sees is what's done in secret. But then Jesus says, you need to let your light shine, your good deeds shine so that people see them. How do we do that? The key is in the result. Those who do good works to be seen by others, Jesus says, you've received your reward in full. You got exactly what you were looking for. You were looking for somebody else's attention. You got it, and you got it at the cost of a relationship with God. When it comes to being salt and light, Jesus says, you want to let your light shine. Why? So that others will see what you're doing but not for the sake of seeing what you're doing so that they will what? They will glorify your Father in heaven. The difference is those who do works to be seen of man are shining an artificial light. They're shining a light they made. Jesus calls us to shine a light that is from God. We are a reflection. We are a mirror of the glory of God through Christ. And we do our good deeds and we let our light shine so that we can illuminate the world for those who are seeking. We light the way for those who are in need of a path forward. 
we show where the safe passage is on the water. The light of the world shines brightly, not so that people see us, but so they see what's around them, and they see, most importantly, God our Father. That's the difference between the Pharisee praying on the street corner and the humble Christian doing the good deeds of the Father for the sake of others. Those who are working for man's glory are not shining a light. They're hoarding the light. They're keeping light for themselves. They're keeping the glory for themselves. They want the accolades and the attention. Jesus, in these two elements, is giving us a picture of how we are designed to be and what God intends for us to be as his people. We are not mere subjects of a great king. We are not mere servants of a mighty creator of the universe. We are more than that. We're active participants in the plan. That's a, that's a very unique element to religion in the world. And I've talked a lot about this. One of the things that keeps me engaged with the story of Jesus Christ and the truth of the Bible is looking at it in perspective of other world religions. The fact that we have a higher power that desires us to be with him, but not from a position of asking us to come to where he is. You obey me because I need you to obey me, and maybe if you're good enough, you'll get up to where I am. No, our higher power, God, looks down on us and says, I want to be with you, I want you to be with me, and I'm going to make it happen by coming down to where you are and bringing you here. That is very unique in the landscape of world religion. And equally as unique is the fact that we are active participants. We are not the passive victim of the whims of our God. We are not passive witnesses to his power and his work. We are not bystanders at his mercy. God invites us into the throne room to actively work and participate with him in the redemption of the world. We see the light, we come to know him, we accept him through Christ, and he says, okay, now it's your turn. Go out and shine this light further. Go out and share this message further. Don't touch anything and leave it the same. Change what you come in contact with for the better. Be the salt. Be the flavor of the world. Be the element-altering power. Be evident. Be dangerous. Be transformative. And shine a light. Not your own light. And not so that people see you. But the true light of God's glory reflected into the world guide people, give them hope, give them direction, give them the opportunity for safe passage, and most importantly, point to the Father by what you do. Point to the Father in everything you do. I had a, a teacher when I was growing up, uh, and he was also the basketball coach uh, at our high school, and uh, went to a Christian school, so Prayer was a common occurrence at different events and even in locker rooms before and after games. And he wasn't the only one. There were several who, who did this, and it stuck with me. When they would pray, 
they would pray for whatever it was we were doing. They would pray that we were successful in our efforts. They would pray for safety. And a couple I can remember specifically would pray consistently that whatever attention we get for what we do, help us to bring the attention to God who makes it possible. We're not in anything for our own glory. We're not in anything for our own glory. And salt and light is not limited to matters of evangelism or spiritual things. God doesn't just get the glory when we're talking about Jesus. God gets the glory when you get a pat on the back for doing something in your job. God gets the glory for when someone notices that you're a good parent, that you take care of your family. God gets the attention. God gets the recognition when we receive accolades and notice. Because so much of the New Testament is written about how do we as Christians, a called people, a gathered people, the ecclesia, how do we live in this world? We live at peace, and we give our best effort so that we are seen as people who work hard, who live and abide in integrity and in honor. Because when people see that, it looks very different from the rest of the world. We're not called to be forceful and antagonistic in our evangelism. We don't stand on street corners and hold signs and yell at people. We're not called to engage in warfare with those who disagree. We're simply called to live quiet, peaceful lives that people take notice of, that people will praise, that people will draw attention to. And then we take that praise, attention, and accolades and we say they don't belong to us because I can't do any of this without God. And we reflect the glory of our Father. That's what it means to be salt. We are a transformative and powerful thing because of God. And we are light. Not because we're a great source, but because we're a great reflection of the true light, the light of the world. Oftentimes, light in Scripture is associated with Jesus. That relationship that we have with God comes through Christ. There's no other way to that relationship. If we are to have light within us, we are to have Christ within us. Jesus says, if you want to look like God, you need to look like me because I am God. Anything you desire in your relationship with God the Father must flow through Christ. And we cling to him to have that relationship and to build that bond. The light that we reflect is the light of the Son who brings it to us from God. Access to him is available to you. And if you need to take advantage of that opportunity, if you need to be restored in your relationship with God through Christ, if you've wandered, if you've strayed, if you've struggled, if you're doubting, if you're hurting, my goodness, that's the human condition. We all, as I said at the beginning, I'm not worthy to do this on my own. I've got no business standing up here. I'm a sinner. But by God's grace and the sacrifice of Christ... I stand before the throne of God, whole and redeemed and reconciled. And I have to live every day with that in mind because it pushes me further into his arms and into a righteous life. So don't run 
from your faults. Don't run from your failure. David says that a humble and contrite heart he will not despise. David had some sin, but he was a man after God's own heart because he didn't run from God in his sin. He ran closer to God in his embrace. If you're struggling today, if you don't know if you can be salt, if you don't think you can be light, I promise you he has a place for you, he has a job for you, and he has an answer for what is holding you back. If you need to be closer to him, or if you're ready to accept Jesus in baptism, then we offer an opportunity for you to do so now as we stand and as Marvin leads us in song.